Jeff Boyardee is Poe's mentor. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it was always going to be Leia. Could have been Baby Yoda. <laughs> wow, what a huge oversight. There's just a hole in the Death Star. Like, what the heck? You know, just like board that up or something, you know? Then jumped onto Wikipedia and was like, oh, there it is. I refused to get on the Wook, um, as, as Jared lovingly refers to it. You're listening to the Star Wars Archives, a Utini.com Patreon-exclusive podcast. Your regular deep dive down the rabbit hole of the Star Wars universe. Discussion, analysis, Easter eggs, and obscure books you've never heard of. And now, here are your hosts, Jose and Trevor. Hello there, you have tuned into episode 47 of the Star Wars Archives, the Utini Network podcast where we take a random Star Wars topic and explain the living Bantha Pudu out of it. I'm Jose, aka Joxy, in the Utiniverse. And to me, with me today, the man who lullabies himself to sleep with Leia's Life Day song, uh, <laughs> Mr. Trevor Davy. <laughs> And I'm Trev, keeper of the timeline pages over at utini.com. I've spent my entire life consuming Star Wars media, and I've read over 1,000 Star Wars books and comics. So for anyone joining us for the first time, this is a largely unscripted show, where once... I'm still thinking about the life day joke. Uh, once we've decided on each episode's topic, Jose will do whatever research he needs, I will do as little research as possible, and we can talk about anything Star Wars. Legends, canon, books, comics, TV, video games, even miscellaneous newspaper clippings, and hopefully keep you entertained and informed over the next hour. Ah. And uh, and so today, not not only am I joined with uh, with this man who loves to sing the Life Day song over and over again, I I actually have to like you know well, I don't do the editing, but Trevor needs to edit himself um, that song out of every episode. But maybe you can put in the one that I sang, just a little clip of that, because I sang the whole thing um, like a yes, year ago. I don't remember yeah. when it was. Anyways, besides Trevor. Uh, today we are lucky enough to welcome yet another Star Wars writer of the yesteryear onto, um, and it's, uh, Eric, I mean, well, he's not a yester, anyways, I don't know, that was on the script, Eric Troutman, who worked on a lot of the old West End games, role-playing books, um, is in, is here with us today, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Trev, what else do you want to say about Eric? I just fumbled that intro entirely. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. I was still in my jade sarcophagus rejuvenating, so I didn't hear it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, no, no problem at all. Um, so as is traditional whenever we have guests on, um, let's start with the, the standard question. So can you tell us about your personal Star Wars journey? How were you first introduced to the saga? What made you fall in love with it? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's see. I was about five or six years old when... Um, the world became aware of Star Wars when, you know, the, the novelization had come out before the film, obviously, and the, yeah. the, the comics adaptation. And uh, I was always kind of that weird sci-fi kid. Um, and it was, you know, you there was just something about the visuals, even just those little um, color photos that were bound into the, the you know, yeah. quote, <laughs> quote unquote, George Lucas, Alan D. <laughs> novelization. Um, it just, you know, as a Star Trek kid, as a comic book kid, it was, it just, you know, and I was a big Flash Gordon fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved those comics. Um, so the, the hook got set 
pretty deep and I just read everything I could get my hands on. And admittedly there wasn't a lot at the time, but you know, it's, you know, when you're that age, it's like, how many times does a little kid need to watch the lion King? You know, <laughs> a thousand, a thousand times. It was yes. like, read and read and read and reread everything I got my hands on. Um, you know, the, the golden age of nobody giving uh, a hoot about spoilers. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Cause it was, you know, and then when, when the movie final, upstate new york where i live very rural upstate new york um you know so you know the the film being held over everywhere just meant it was weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting till it, there was finally enough prints to get to every podunk theater like ours oh wow um the, yeah i know that that uh that star destroyer and you know heaving into view over tatooine i was like yeah no this is yeah. this is for <laughs> me that that was um, and so, you know, I was still an avid consumer of it after 77, obviously, because, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. there was more coming. Um, and it was I think it was the the first Brian Daly Han Solo novel, Han Solo at Star's End. Um, yeah. I, I had read Splinter of the Mind when it came out, but it was Star's End that, you know, it was it was just such a good rip and yarn. Um there was no bookstore in my hometown. So we had to, my parents, God bless them, had to drive like wow. well over an hour to, to the near nearby. And again, quotey fingers mall, uh, the strip mall that had a, and I'm going to be even more old timey. Oh, wow. had a Walden books. And I, I remember going in with them. My parents let me skip school. The day that book came out, drove me there because you know, they knew how I felt mm -hmm. about star Wars and, and I remember getting the first Han Solo at Star's End paperback out of the box. Like she hadn't, the, the, the clerk hadn't even put it on the shelf yet. And it was in my hot little hands. And that was, that was when I knew when I started reading it, uh, I want to do this. I want to, I want to write stories like this. You know, it was, it was such a fun book and it just cooks along. It's beautifully plotted. The dialogue's great. The characters were very recognizable as the characters from the film. Um, I felt, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and all due respect to to uh, Alan Dean Foster, um, his Luke and Leia didn't read like Luke and Leia to then mm -hmm. like seven year old me or yeah. however old I was. They they felt different. It was like reading a Star Trek novel. Um, although ironically, in that era, it would have also been written <laughs> by Alan Dean Foster. Now that I think of it, um, and it not quite feeling like the characters I was used to on screen. And Daly's Han is is to me so definitive it's so good um and i just spent every spare second of my time from that age on writing i sold my first piece to a local interest magazine at like age 14. um so i've been at this a while i turned 50 last year um and uh you know uh and you know just having a, a small track record as a writer and taking writing classes in college and ultimately ended up at west end games uh in part because a friend of mine um, from high school was the line editor of the Star Wars <laughs> line. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. That was sort of my journey into professional Star Wars was the, so was the role-playing game and moving to So that was your, your first time ever writing Star Wars, or did you write, even just for yourself, any sort of like fan y type of stuff oh. within the Star Wars universe? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I had written I had written a story when I was uh -huh. maybe ten, and it was it was probably a good twenty twenty five thousand words, which you know for a ten year old is yeah. commitment. <laughs> uh, 
and it was about uh, the rebels on a on a mercy mission to a planet that had been infected by a disease, and they had stolen a shipment of the uh, of the antidote, the cure for the disease um, that had to be deployed via torpedo into the atmosphere um, to to spread the the the, the, the the cure to this populace. And of course, you know, Darth Vader wants to interrupt that because this planet is leaning towards joining the rebellion. And oh, we come to find out that the disease had been specially engineered by the empire. And it was actually not a bad plot. It was terrible execution. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, I um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I might still have copies yeah. of that. I, I hand wrote, I hand wrote it. And then at one oh, point, uh, I doubt I still have the the handwritten yeah. ones, but then I typed it after I borrowed my dad's electric typewriter and typed the That's whole thing. Amazing. You know, a, yeah. a few a few years ago, a friend of mine, like his wife for his for like his birthday or something, she found some sort of old story that he had written when he was like seven years old, and he was just bringing in characters from like Marvel and Star Wars and every single sort of like franchise you can think of. And then she's like, <laughs> and I I'm an architect uh, by day so i you know i like to draw and everything and and uh, so she's like hey can you like maybe turn this into a graphic novel or something so i like i illustrated his whole like story from when he was seven years old and it's just like i mean it, grammatical errors and everything were included so and it's just like amazing to go back in time and like read what like you thought was like really good back in the when you were just a child yep yeah, well, I still read all that stuff, like comics in particular. Yeah. Um, I went my way to find the garbage comics I loved when I was a kid. Um, I have complete runs of like well, old DC sword and sorcery books from the 80s, like The Warlord and Arax, Son of Thunder and Claw <laughs> the Unconquered. Like, I could not get enough of that into my eye holes fast enough uh-huh. when I was a kid. And I, I still enjoy them. I mean, they're not, they are what they are. They yeah. were... Con, you know, they were at least conscientiously produced, you know, like you can't look at the warlord and say Mike Grell is phoning it in, you know, um, <laughs> but they're very much products of their time. Yeah. I love that stuff. I love that old stuff. When you were starting that story for a second, I had a brief moment. I was like, it had all of these characters from Marvel and Star Wars and DC. And it's like, and today he grew up to be an IP lawyer. I was kind of <laughs> hoping that no, he, he, no, he, He's a graphic designer now. So, I mean, he's, he, uh, yeah, he, he enjoys, he still enjoys it all. But no, he's, uh, um, I mean, he actually had little like diagrams of what some of the characters were like. And, you know, kind of like trading cards. So he was right their stats. So, um, like, yeah, he he did came up come up with like the villain or something, and I I I mean I think I do have a copy of what I ended up drawing somewhere in my place, but because that was a couple years ago. But uh, I mean, it's more incredible that you still have your own stuff from when you were ten years old. So that's like really cool. Did you oh, yeah. like find any inspiration um, from those old fanfic things uh, when you were actually writing for Star Wars? Then no, not really. Uh, <laughs> no, it's. Uh... And, and I mean, largely it was, it wasn't because, you know, I was being precious about it or anything. Yeah. It was just, we were so pressed for time back in those days. Like we were cranking out a lot of material fast. Yeah. Um, and uh, there wasn't really time for me to, cause at that point, those pages would have been at my parents' house so that I didn't I really have time to, to jet from uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania into Northern New York. That was a three to five hour drive, depending yeah. on weather. 
um, and and go dig all that stuff out of my parents' attic. Um, that came later. <laughs> Digging out of the attic. Later. I see. So um, so you ended up at West End James because um, your friend was the line editor. Now, as far as I could tell during my research, your first sort of credit with the, on the Star Wars line was in the politics of contraband source. Book, yes, correct. Yes, yes. That can you, was can, you, can you remember how um how you ended up you know getting a gig, getting to work on Star Wars? Uh, I was, I had transferred from, uh, the college of St. Rose in Albany, New York, which is, um, where Bill Smith, the line editor had also gone to college. We were high school friends. Uh, he was a senior when I was a junior. So I was an incoming freshman to St. Rose when he was a graduating senior. Um, and he had left to, uh, he had, he had run the first star Wars games I'd ever played. Um, when we were in high school, um, right, right near about the time I was graduating, he'd come home from college, um, and ran a game and he was just in love with it. And, uh, I think I was one of the first people to, to push him to apply there because he was editing a, a janitor's trade magazine in Albany. <laughs> and to say he was not happy would be too dramatically understated. Um, I, I don't even remember what the name of the magazine was. We just jokingly called it Mop Monthly. Uh, <laughs> but he was not super happy. It was not the kind of creative work he wanted to do. And, you know, he apparently aced his interview at West End and got the job. And it's weird to think of this now, but uh, Star Wars was sort of the, the redheaded stepchild at West End. Um, okay. Uh a lot of other property there, there was their game Torg and they were just starting to launch the master book system, which was supposed to be a rules engine that they would bolt other things onto um, either licenses or homegrown IPs. Um, and uh, there was not a lot of love for the star Wars license within those offices. And, but um, I mean, it certainly was a successful game. And then after Bill Slavisek had moved on um, and he had considered the line reportedly, um, kind of moribund at that point. It was like, well, we've covered everything in the movies. So what is there left to do? Interesting. And, uh, and, and Bill said, I've got some ideas and <laughs> proceeded to, to generate quite a bit of money for the company. So all of a sudden, a lot of guys who'd been there longer were finding resources kind of being diverted away from their pet projects and onto more star Wars stuff. So, there was some inner office politicking going on and uh, and this could be wildly inaccurate, but what had been described to me at the time when I was still freelancer was because I didn't have any connection to uh, any of the other lines and any of the other editors. Um, I wouldn't be considered poaching a potential freelancer from one of those guys. Um, and yeah. Bill and I could write because we'd worked together on various projects in high school. Like none of them ever saw the light of day, but he knew I could write. Um, and so, yeah, he said, well, I need a 5,000 word adventure set in the New Republic era. And it's got to focus on smugglers. That's what I was told. And then it was like, and I need it in a week. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was still very young. I want to say I was, I was maybe 18 or 19 mm -hmm. when, when he approached me about it and I didn't realize, uh, Oh, that's insane. <laughs> that's a lot of work in a very short amount of time. Uh, but I sat down, I had this notion for the adventure and I banged it out over a weekend, uh, taking time out for meals and nothing else basically. And, uh, it was 45,000 words when I was done. Um, 
ridiculous. It, it's, is that a lot? Uh, well, <laughs> the assignment was for five. So, uh, it wow, was more nine pages times over. Than, yeah, it was more pages than they had in the book. And uh, <laughs> I, I did, you know, I hit the word count. Um, and watching that number tick up, I just felt my stomach sinking. Um, and and so I, I took a day away from it and then came back the next day and brutally trimmed it down to 5,000 words. Um, and that's was basically that, what got printed. Um, was, was, that, uh, was that a difficult task, trimming those 30-odd <laughs> thousand words out? Uh, the hard part is hiding the seams. And I don't... I can look at that... that piece which everybody seemed to think was just fine it was it was a it was nothing groundbreaking it was a solid enough you know slim down yojimbo retelling basically um <laughs> and uh, it did the job um and you know like it's 90 percent of the worst writing sins imaginable will be forgiven by your editor if you just turn the damn thing in on time <laughs> does you know it's so I got a reputation very early on of being able to deliver a lot of material very quickly. Yeah. Um, Cause like I said, this whole process took me about four days and I had seven. So I turned in the job three days early oh, wow. and it was acceptable enough that they, they printed it largely as is. I mean, you know, not that Bill was a, a bad editor or anything. He, you know, he did a solid edit on it, fixed the, the mistakes that were there, but he said, you know, among other things uh, there was a specific way that they wanted the pages formatted. Um, okay. Where every in, in Microsoft Word, every header, every stat block, whatever, had its own uh, character style or paragraph style. Um, and part of the reason they did that, um, which I wish I'd known at the time, because it would have saved me about 40,000 words of effort, um, <laughs> because they'd set it up so that it was very close to um, the amount of space it occupied in a Word document, occupied about the same amount of space uh in the page then page maker files that they used to lay out the books for in production so you had a really good idea of where you were in your page count oh, if you formatted man. it properly but it was it was a little fiddly it was a little hard to get used to and a lot of freelancers bounced off of it and i yeah. didn't i think that's probably why bill gave me more work <laughs> eh, he's fast and i don't have to format it yeah. okay <laughs> um, so, um, so, so, were you freelance or were you staff for West End Games? I was freelance at that point. Um, I became staff later. Um, I had done. Uh, I was basically collecting editorial table scraps um, as a freelancer. Uh, a lot of my gigs were eh, freelancer wrote a good pitch, turned in garbage, fix it. There was a lot of that. Um, okay. Is it, politics was, was it still all kind of like the same, I mean, within the sort of nerdy sort of geek culture stuff or or were you writing something outside of this as well? Oh, no. At this point, when I was getting Star Wars work, all I was doing was Star Wars work. Everything else, like personal projects, everything else just got put in a drawer so I could focus on paying work. Because um, at that point, uh, living in upstate New York, I was the assistant manager of a... Uh, one hour photo lab and retail uh, photo electronics store. We were the only one hour photo lab within like 80 miles. Wait, where in upstate uh, New York are we talking about? Because I, I spent some time there, so I'm kind of curious uh, now. Northern Adirondacks, 20 minutes out of my parents' backyard. You're basically in Quebec. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Okay. So very north. <laughs> north of Lake Placid. Yes. All right. Got yeah. It. No, America's, uh, Canada's scarf is where yes. I live. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so. Yeah, no, it's very rural. It's still very rural yeah. and still economically <laughs> uh, full of hardship. I had a good job at the electronics store. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I earned $7,000 a year before taxes. I was supposed to live on that in 1990s money. Um, so yeah, anything that was bringing in income uh, was top priority. Um, so yeah, I went from uh, I went from politics of contraband to providing a chapter um, in the Star Wars Game Masters handbook. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, it was Fragments from the Rim, uh, the rewrite of Fragments. Um, that was that was the big break. Um, people really liked that. Yeah, so um, I want to just dive in quickly to about Fragments of a Rim, because that's um, Galaxy Guide <laughs> 9. Now, yep. that one's really notable for me because it introduced Corwin Shelvey. Yep. Um, so you revisited that character for a short story for Galaxy Magazine. Yep. And you did your research, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've I've read the Dark Vendetta story years ago. I've got those magazines. Um, But we spoke about Corwin Shelvey on a recent episode because he was introduced back into canon in the Kenobi series. Yep. Yep. That was great. Um, (laughs) So so did you create that character? So sort of. Um, Simon Smith, who is co-author on that book, um, at the time was a guy somewhere in Britain. Um, who had written a proposal that Bill, the line editor, adored. Uh, and I read the proposal, and it was great. Uh, he did not turn in a manuscript that matched that proposal. Um, okay. it was, among other things, Bill had been very clear to to Simon, do not put references to other IPs in this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it came back loaded with, like, uh, Doctor Who references, like, Seven references, <laughs> you know, British sci-fi stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And when Bill called him on it, because it was it was a lot. It wasn't just like a sly reference here or there. It was like yeah. a lot. And apparently Simon's response, um, and this is secondhand. I don't know how the actual correspondence played it. You fix it. So Bill fixed it by having me to go through and rewrite it. So I went through the manuscript. Um, there was some stuff that was, was I thought, salvageable, but a lot of the characters had names that didn't sound very Star Wars-y. Um, a lot of them had, like, Scottish and Irish-sounding names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Corwin Shelvey's last name originally was, was like, MacDougall. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. Um, so I made, a lot of, yeah, I made a lot of calls like that, and the way it was written was a little oblique, the... the the connection. So, uh, yeah, so I, I basically went in and cleaned all that stuff up um, and made the relationships between the characters a little clearer because um, they were written fairly obliquely. Um, and Because uh, it's quite it's quite dark as well, isn't it? Some of the storytelling yeah. in that book. Yep, some of it. Um, that I, I did darken up some of it and I lightened up other parts. Um, and, like, there was one entire chapter that I cut completely. I mean, I just... I begged Bill because um, one of the limitations I had was, well, Lucasfilm has approved this outline, <laughs> uh, so you can't add a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. But I begged him to let me cut this one because it was page after page after page of uh, different kinds of power cells. Um, so basically, <laughs> it was the Star Wars equivalent of this is a double A battery. This is a B cell. <laughs> I yeah, it was just and and bless his heart, Simon had drawn, hand drawn diagrams of every type of these power cells, and I was just oh, like, wow. but it was like twenty one pages <laughs> in a ninety six page book. I'm like, yeah. 
I think this could just go. Can we yeah. deviate from the outline if I just cut out 21 pages of stuff that will, you know, bore the tail off of the reader? No offense, Simon, but <laughs> it was it wasn't good. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. I'm sure. So, so, re- so essentially, then, uh, so Simon Smith came up with the idea of the character. Yeah, but the you know most of the work was you. <laughs> Uh, frankly, yeah. uh, like the rewrite, I mean, the, the prose itself, um, I mean, some of his stuff is still there. He didn't, he wasn't a terrible writer or anything. It was, it was pushing things closer to his own outline. Yeah. He had a little Star wars and less, you know, fewer McDougals. Uh, <laughs> more like, a, yeah, more, more, more within the Star Wars universe and less Earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I, I did push... Tremaine in a very specific direction because uh, he was quite a bit darker. Um, not that he's a lighthearted character. Oh yeah, not at all. Uh, to begin with, but uh, this is again, this is going to date me. There used to be an old CBS comedy series, a sitcom, uh, and it was trying to ride the the then burgeoning popularity of Dungeons and Dragons. It was called Wizards and Warriors, mm. and it had uh, um, Jeff Conaway as the, the the fantasy hero and Julia Duffy as kind of the the ditzy princess and Duncan Regeer plays uh, uh, Dirk Blackpool the villain um, and the show is extremely campy um, but I took a lot of the arrogance and um, sardonicism of the that character and sort of bolted him onto Tremaine and that seemed to work. <laughs> Because uh, it's definitely, I think it's Tremaine that kind of lived a longer life within Star Wars storytelling. I know he showed up in a few later stories and online comic, web comics and stuff like that. So was that uh, the same sort of thing? So the bones of it were there from Simon Smith and you just, like you said, just enhanced it and tinkered it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a good way of putting it is, uh, yes, polishing it. Um, <laughs> like, cause the core concept was there. Um, but like I said, I... My, my recollection is that he was a lot darker, a lot more violent. And yeah. um, so like you, you can imagine my joy when rebels, star Wars rebels happened. And basically the grand inquisitor is, is, uh, is Tremaine in, in alien skin, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm amused by how much of galaxy guide nine still shows up in the franchise. Um, you know, the, 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 um, I'm totally spacing on what they're called. The black armored stormtroopers, the death troopers, the death troopers. Um, yeah. are basically the storm commandos, um, which is from galaxy guide nine and elite Imperial unit. Like if you read the specs of, uh, of what their armor can do and then go look at their entry in one of Pablo's Pablo Hidalgo's um, visual dictionaries, it's like, it's word for word. Um, oh, wow. So um, the drink that uh, Beckett orders at the end of, of, uh, Solo, the Savarine Brandy, that came out of Galaxy Guide 9. I was the only person in the theater who cheered when that <laughs> happened, by the way. Um, and, and like you know, that, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme going like, I know that thing, with pointing yeah. at the screen. <laughs> I totally was that, yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and Corwin Shelvey showing up. Like, um, a few years ago, uh, I was in San Francisco with my wife uh, for her birthday. And I realized I haven't seen Pablo since like a Gen Con back in the 90s. Um, and, uh, you know, he was always a, a freelancer for us. We, we always loved working with Pablo and he's, he's a funny guy. Um, and I was like, ah, I'll reach out and see if he wants to grab a cup of coffee. Um, so I get a hold of him. He's like, well, I can't do it today, but it's friends and family day here 
at Lucasfilm, you and Gab want to come? <laughs> well, let me think about that for a second. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and as he's walking around, he's introducing me to people. And almost all of them were like, wait, you're the Eric Troutman who wrote Galaxy Guide 9? Like, they still have it sitting on their shelves. And that blows my mind. Oh, wow. You know, it's like, like, yeah, but you like work on the movies and stuff. So I should be fanboying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but especially in like nowadays, I know like, you know, since Trevor and I started doing this podcast, like when, you know, I mean, it was like right with the first season of Mando. What? No. Yeah. 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 And or a second. I don't know. The second season. But it was just sort of like when we we're going into it and like everything that they're bringing back from like Legends and the source books and stuff, like every time Trevor and I talk about it, it's just like, oh, and then there's this source book from West End Games and then that comes from this <laughs> other thing. So, I mean, I think like, yeah, I mean, the movies are a thing, but like the true like hardcore fans like know all your work and know all this work from all these like source books. And I think that there's, you know, there's just so much to like mine from those. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see that stuff resurfacing from time to time. You know, it's just um, and it's weird. I get asked a lot if that bothers me um, because I don't typically get credit for that stuff. Mm. I certainly am not. Paid. Yeah. Um, and I really don't. Um, it was such a labor of love for me um, at the time. I mean, it, it's hard to overstate how weird the West End Games experience was when you were in okay. it. Okay. Uh, and it's very challenging until like I moved on to bigger and quote better things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but like West end was the only place where the more success I racked up, the more autonomy and authority I had to chart my own course, um, completely opposite experience, like at say Microsoft where, um, and there's a there's an extremely long story about how, for example, the Halo novels happened, and it was largely out of my office. Um, that I, I literally took a game hostage, a launch title for the X, Xbox hostage, in order to get those novels done. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were supposed to sell thirty five thousand copies and make maybe a hundred grand. And I've lost track of how many millions of copies they've sold and how much wow. money they've made. Um, and I've heard really good things about them as well. I. Uh, part of it was hiring the right writer. Um, Eric Nyland is a fantastic novelist and he understood the job and that first novel, um, it's got its warts, but it, we weren't allowed to see the game as it was being made. Um, we had to write a prequel, um, setting up events in the game because Bungie didn't want stuff spoiled. Uh, and we had seven weeks to go from blank page to it's in stores and on shelves. Um, seven weeks is not long enough to write a novel. (laughs) And Eric is good. He's good. And he was fast and we worked well together and it made a ton of dough. And my reward for that was to have in my 12 person group, more management added over me. Uh, it was a 12 person group with nine managers. (laughs) It was... It was awful. Um, I had some good managers, don't get me wrong, who I had a few managers who were like, if we just stay out of Eric's way, he 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 goes and makes money. If we get in his way, he goes and makes trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that was sort of my saving grace there. But yeah, no, West End was the opposite. Um, the owner was uh, Scott Palter, who passed away a few years ago. Liked to meddle with stuff just for the sake of meddling with stuff. Okay. Um, but the... The more the line grew, um, particularly under under my watch, um, the I was allowed 
to tell him no. I was allowed to to say that's crazy. We're not going to blow up the <laughs> schedule, you lunatic. Um, <laughs> he would take that in the spirit intended. If uh, if other people had tried that, there would have been consequences. But he liked me and trusted me enough to just let me do what I needed to do. Um, I think part of it was because I was the first one to admit it. If something, if I screwed something up, mm-hmm. um, yeah. There's one specific book from near the end of our time there that I would gleefully track down and burn every copy in existence. Um, oh, now, now you now you have to tell me which one. Uh, it is not it's not the fault of anyone who made the book beyond me. Um, it was an anthology book that had a lot of writers and a lot of a lot of art was necessary for it. It was called Stock Ships, um, okay, and it was yeah. just a bunch of freighters. But the way that book got bounced around the schedule, and I should have anticipated this, meant that the art department did not have time to uh, to really do the the diagrams and schematics of each ship justice. Mm. The quality level of that is highly variable, and it's just down to, well, that artist had a whole four hours to work on that. You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that oh, okay. You know, it's, nobody was phoning anything in, but there was a certain amount of like. Part of the design was supposed to be that if you photocopied these, um, you know, again, this is old school, right? Um, uh, if you photocopied these these maps out of the book at a specific magnification, they would be in 25 millimeter scale for, for miniatures wargaming. And I'm bad at math. So all of those numbers, like none of those, no, those maps blow up properly. Um, and, you know, and that's just me. That was me managing the line at that point. And I screwed that one up. I did not allow enough time for it um part of the problem was i had nothing else to put in its place and if we missed a date on a book paychecks might not come out this week mm. uh, west end was a small company uh, where a lot of our our money was being funneled to a sister company so our resources constantly dwindled um how often so were the books coming out at the time uh i think it was it was at least 296 page books a month at that point um oh, wow and often i mean bare minimum they were at least 96 pages for the most part once in a while we get away with a 64 pager um but because of the nature of the material uh, i always pushed for a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. so we did a lot of you know the galaxy guides were typically 96 pages but something like pirates and privateers or the spec force manual um were 128 um, source books were generally 144. Um, so it was, and all that, in addition to the writing, um, which was not inconsiderable, you had to do, um, the illustrations, uh, you had to get, and that takes time and you had to do all the schematics and diagrams. And then there's just basic page layout. Um, so it's, you know, <laughs> basically every yeah. one of those books in, in a, in a sane universe we should have been given at least eight weeks on. Uh, yeah. we, typically had to, we typically had three. Because um, you also had to factor in approvals time from Lucasfilm. Right. Um, which could quickly, it could happen very quickly, or it could take a while. Um, so, so how far ahead were you working on, on, on this, like with, your, with that schedule, though? Like, like how many months uh, in advance were you, like, <laughs> knowing that this was going to happen? <laughs> Ideally, we should have been working six months ahead. Yeah, because I know. Uh, yeah, that, from what I know, that's typically how it is with like magazines and things like that, right? But <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, like I said, it, ideally, it should have been 
you know, six months ahead in, in practice, it was, uh, there is no future. There is no tomorrow. There's only the endless now. Yeah. Um, that I, it just felt like a conveyor belt. It was, it was, it was Lucy and Ethel with the chocolates. We were just frantically trying to <laughs> just put everything in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I just, I mean, like I said, uh, there was a real chance we wouldn't have ca- enough cash flow coming in if we missed a date that people wouldn't yeah. get paid. And, you know, I'm a 20 something year old kid at that point, And I feel that responsibility, not just, you know, to my employer, but it's like everybody who works with me and we're all in these, you know, we're all in the boat frantically yeah. bailing water out of it. Um, and, well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, well, what about when there's like some of the source books that were more like, closely related to there's like the last command and truth of Bakura. Like, were you like just knowing how, how close to the actual deadline you were working, like how did these come about? Um, did, were you working closely to, with like Timothy Zahn or Kathy tears or something? Or how did you, how did this, how did they come about? I guess how was uh, the process it, for some, some, how, what was the process like for those types of like source books? The, uh, the process on Last Command and uh, Truce of Pecora, uh was different. Um, each one was slightly different from the other. The Last Command source book happened because um, the guy who was supposed to write it, uh, Bill Slavsack, he'd written the first two, um, and then he left for TSR, um, which later became Wizards of the Coast. And TSR had a pretty ironclad, thou shalt not do outside freelance. Um, but he had already been contracted by West End, had already, I guess, had been paid something. Um, the outline had been approved by Lucasfilm. Um, and all of a sudden he was telling Bill Smith, who had taken over for Slavisek as the line editor, uh, he'd had a computer problem and the manuscript got eaten. Um, Sorry, the manuscript got eaten? Yeah, he, yeah. Basically, basically, yeah, the, there was some kind of problem with his computer and he couldn't save the manuscript. Uh, allegedly it, it was look it was 20 something years ago i wasn't there for this part of it this is what was relayed to me i'm not casting aspersions on the flat <laughs> uh, who apparently uh was not happy with me taking over the job um but I, again don't think that was my fault and i'll get to why in a minute uh, <laughs> um there was definitely a bit of a row between slavisek and smith over this i knew that um so Bill had managed to convince his bosses to push Last Command back on the sort on the schedule, and hired me to do it because he knew it would come in, it would come in fast, and he knew if I got handed the approved outline, as I'd shown with with Galaxy Guide Nine, I wouldn't turn in something that was so wildly divorced from the outline that Lucasfilm would have a problem mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah, the problem with the outline uh, was that it was full of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> using identifying uh character names as planets or cities or you know that kind of thing so i I had again had to call bill and go i need a little bit of wiggle room on this outline (laughs) why is that (laughs) because of this it was clear that you know it was in the outline was was uh not rigorously vetted by anybody and it probably was based off an early draft of the novel um, so maybe stuff changed. Like I said, I, I don't want to cast aspersions on Bill Slavisek, um, but this was the mess I, I was inheriting. Um, so I read the novel. Um, I was given a draft of the novel because by the time I got to it, I don't think the novel had come out yet. Um, okay. And if it had, I certainly couldn't afford it. 
this is uh, at around 90, 91 is when the novel 91, came out. 91, something like yeah. that, yeah. Um, uh, and so I, I, you know, it's one, you know, the, the outline was there. The, the core of it was there. There were mm-hmm. two prior source books that had come out. So I kind of knew the style of how they were presented. And I, I mirrored my text to that. And I, and I got it done in a few weeks and sent it off and it, you know, went through the process of, of production and when it came out the back cover copy that i didn't write i want to be very clear about this <laughs> bill smith wrote this i think uh i think he was still a little mad at slavisek because the very first line says finally the next chapter oh. in. <laughs> um so one of the things i love about all of the west end games content but specifically these kind of book tie-in source books is like the amount of original fiction in them was that written by uh, you guys, or in the case of these ones, was that written by the authors of the books? Uh, it would vary. It would vary. Um, it would depend on the project. Like in the case of Teresa Picora, Kathy wrote all the fiction. Okay. That was a, the big deal was getting one of the novelists to contribute a significant amount of fiction. Um, yeah, that book happened because I pushed for it. Um, I wanted to do that book because there was a one glaring continuity error in the novel, and I got to fix it. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it bugged me. Um, it was supposed to be a big secret that Palpatine was on Death Star too, right? Like several Bothans had to die to get that information, right? Yeah. So where does the Empire? How does the Empire know to send a, a message droid there? That's the inciting event that kicks off the plot. Um, and I can't <laughs> And and uh, I wanted. I mean, that's a that's a position of power right there, isn't it? <laughs> this book annoys me. I happen to write source books. <laughs> Well, and I happen to enjoy a lot of the concepts in the novel that I thought could be made gameable. Um, yeah. That uni- that that uh, in- opinion was not universally shared inside editorial. So uh, okay. part of it was, no, I've got an idea. I can make this work. Let me do this. Um, I mean, uh, I've, I've explained the, the plot of that book to Jose a few times. Jose, it's the one with the dinosaurs and the mm-hmm. souls being sucked into droids. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, on my, it's on my queue. I just haven't gotten to it. I... <laughs> Well, I mean, it opens up that whole unexplored region of space with this weird technology. Like, it could it could be the spine of a very pulpy, fun campaign, right? Like, yeah, mad science yeah. dinosaurs work in Star Wars in a way they don't work in other stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's a creepy element to that technology, like you know, just draining sentient people into husks to power your 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 computer and your you know your. Uh, uh, your, your hovercraft or whatever um, that it's, it's kind of Borg like in that regard, you know, it's, it, it, it's a subsuming technology that fits in very well in star Wars, in my opinion. Um, yes. So I'm just going back briefly to um, what you said at the top of the show about really enjoying Han Solo at star's end. Did you work on the Han Solo and the corporate sector source book? Nope. Uh, Mike Horn beat my uh. in by one week and I'm still mad about it. Uh. <laughs> I wanted that book so bad. Um, I, I mean, uh, it, it, he did a good job. He did he do did a good job. job. He did a fine job. Um, <laughs> just, I'm, I'm still torqued. <laughs> <laughs> I want, that should have been my book. Um, yeah, um, no. So towards the end of um, the sort of source books, am I correct in saying that you played a pretty large part in the making of the Dark Strider campaign? Because that one seems to have been yep. a particularly ambitious you know, phase of your output. Oh God, it was too ambitious. Yeah. So if you go back, <laughs> the, the, 
the I remember Bill was Bill Smith um, had gotten a hold of me. I was still freelancing, um, and uh, still living in upstate New York and still miserable. Um, and uh, he got a hold of me and said, "We're planning this thing." And he kind of laid the rough outline out of what they were talking about doing to do their very first Star Wars box set. It was a big deal. It involved a lot of. We were spending a lot more on the physical production of the book than we ever of the, of the the box set than we ever did on the books. It was an expensive box set to make. Yeah. Um, and so they were hedging their bets. They got Tim Zahn involved as part of it, but they were having they were having trouble figuring out what the big bad was going to be in this hitherto unexplored um, section of space. And I pointed them at uh, the thing I'd written for the Game Master Handbook. The 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 very the second piece I had ever written involved yeah. artifacts, how to generate artifacts, and we ended up having to change the name because uh, of, of this ancient um, alien race that was producing these artifacts. In my examples in the in the Game Master Handbook, um, but I was like, "Look, it's basically a race of creatures that make force using tools that make you know uh, machines that the force can act can be can access the force." And Lucasfilm already approved it. So you got that going for you. So basically okay. that was where all of the, the the tech and weird stuff came from with all the seeds laid in the Game Master handbook like three years before or whatever it was. Uh, and then when the uh, when I got hired on as an editor uh, on staff, um, well, technically I was... Uh, I was... Uh, part-time editor and part-time sales rep. Um, they, uh, they couldn't justify bringing me on as a full-time editor. So I had to split my time arguing with Walden books reps about why they should buy our books. Um, and uh, I was sort of put in charge of where the line was going to go. Uh, Bill had done, had edited the box set and Paul Sudlow had edited the first adventure collection uh, and then I was supposed to take it home and it was originally supposed to be like 10 books. Wow. And I mean, yeah, that's ambitious. Yeah. And my, my, my first uh, command decision on that is like, so we're doing two more and we're wrapping this up. <laughs> you know, we, I wanted to tell a tighter story. Yeah. Um, and we had run into a problem early on, um, well, one of my one of my first problems with it was Bill had given me marching orders in my adventure to introduce some characters as recurring foils. Um, okay. And then Paul Sudlow had edited those adventures, and he went, "This character's introduced and kind of disappears." So I, he just deleted him. So my big my my, my big uh, my jaws or my odd job that I was going to use in future supplements, I had to reintroduce later. Um, but it's you know it was that's the kind of loosey goosey stuff that happens when your entire production model is, Hey, my uncle's got a barn. Let's put the show on right here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, um, like, I mean, you've had so many different kinds of projects. It sounds like, right. Just, I mean, some with more related to the books or fixing other people's like things. <laughs> Was there, is there any particular like project um, or book or whatever that like, you know, you consider either your favorite or that it, what just really stands out out of the rest for you, uh, either because it was, you know, you regret it entirely. Uh, no. Or, 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 or I don't know, like it was way too much fun. I have three. Okay. Uh, 
and they were all written by the same guy, uh, Tim O'Brien, um, who is a friend of mine and actually lives about 10 minutes from where I sit currently, uh, out here in Western Washington. Um, one of my oldest friends, uh, he had particularly on the dark strider stuff. Um, he became my go-to guy because he was, again, he was fast. He was reliable. He got the assignment in a way that I could just kind of thumbnail it for him. And I didn't have to worry that I was going to get in stuff that didn't work. Um, yeah. And my my promise to him, because Darkstrider's uh, Endgame, the final the final thing. I mean, it's a big adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got warring factions having a space battle and a ground battle. It was our Return of the Jedi, basically. If you look at that, it's Return of the Jedi's ending, yeah. um, and that required a lot of seven. Oh, and oh, and while you're at it, come up with an alternate mechanic for the Force, and you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Big job and he did not have a lot of time to do it and I didn't have a lot of budget left to throw at it so I promised him uh, I, he'd get a pay bump on his next project and write me your dream pitch and if I can make it work I will guarantee you get to do it um, and that became Pirates and Privateers okay. which I think is a stunning supplement I think he did a great job on it and it did the same thing that Galaxy Guide 6 did it opened up an entirely new style of play Right. Um, Galaxy I had six was the first of the Tramp Freighters book was the first one that was like, it's not the rebellion versus the empire. You're just yeah. a Joe trying to make your way through this crazy mixed up galaxy. Uh, well, now you've got pirates and privateers. You've got a space pirate campaign or a rebel privateer campaign. Um, and I, that book is so full of ideas and fun stuff to use in your game. And it's mm-hmm. well written. And, uh, and, uh, and I, th- I think that one's chock full of fiction as well. If I, remember it right yeah. i know there's a, there's a couple that stand out as having more than usual and i'm sure that's one of them yeah oh yeah um and it sold so well that i uh i commissioned tim because tim um one of his early successes at west end was writing a star wars adventure journal article for pete schweighoffer about hover tanks and uh he's a, tim is a big like 70s sci-fi like keith laumer david drake you know um, space mercenary guy. Um, yeah. and my interests also lie, um, in military. Um, so I wanted to do the special forces book. Um, and he wanted to do it. So I hired him to do that, um, as a reward for doing such a good job on pirates and privateers. And, um, uh, I think that book is great. Um, I had a little bit more to do with that one outline. And like I came up with the martial arts system um, okay. that's oh. introduced in it. I think Tim, Tim's big innovation in that one uh, is presenting. Uh, Tim's big innovation in that one is presenting um, basic infantry, and of course the rebels' elite troops. Yeah, um, are the ones who basically know basic <laughs> infantry. Yeah, so you know, up to that, rebels' elite soldiers the, Re- the rebellion's elite soldiers are their, their doctrine is run down the hallway screaming like a nut firing your blaster so introducing basic squad tactics made them elite um which i thought was a fun inside joke and then the other favorite i have is uh is the sequel to pirates and privateers the far orbit project which okay it's a it's a long adventure basically where you are the crew of the very first rebel privateer the far orbit um and uh, I've actually played in that one. Um, Tim and I co-ran it 
um, when I moved out here to Washington um, for his gaming group. Um, and I played, uh, I played the evil Imperial commander who foments, basically sparks a mutiny and the inciting event of the entire series of adventures. Uh, I played him as uh, my worst boss at Microsoft. And let me tell you, <laughs> that, uh, that was uh, cathartic. And boy, that, that mutiny went off like clockwork. Like he inspired the mutiny perfectly. Yeah. Uh, so. I think, I think, um, is that one of the later, like mm-hmm. one of the final books? So your career must have got, well, went right up until the company unfortunately folded, I guess. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, so can you, can you, if you're happy to, can you tell us a little bit about that went down and, you know, more importantly, what did you do next? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, remind, reminding myself of my, uh, my promise not to swear a bunch. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we weren't fired. Uh, we were brought in for an all hands meeting where Scott Poulter, uh, the owner t- and publisher told us, well, I, I can't guarantee I can pay you, but I'm not going to stop you from coming in and working. <laughs> so most of us quit. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, we had found out in that meeting that he had stopped paying Lucasfilm. Um, he had stopped paying our printer. Oh. And uh, we no longer had budget to pay freelancers. Um, there was a period there where we kind of knew that was coming. So I had stopped hiring freelancers to do yeah. stuff. Um, Tim and I were writing a lot of stuff uh, uh, at that point because we, at that point, Tim had gone from being a freelancer to moving into the company full time uh, as a sales guy. Um, so. <laughs> He, he was he was helpful. He was at least drawing salary. Um, and uh, I had just gotten married to my now ex-wife, um, my first wife, and uh, she worked there as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was dead broke. Uh, two weeks after our wedding, we paid off the wedding and had no money and no more money coming in. So I was taking whatever temp job I could, um, as was Jen. And... Uh, we couldn't seem to get temp jobs at the same time. So we were just hand to mouth. Like I'd have a two week temp job. It would end. We'd go a couple days. I'd watch the coffers dwindle. And then like when we were down to a couple bucks in the account, she'd get a job and we'd coast for another few weeks. And that went on for almost a year. Uh, at this point, Tim had moved back to Washington where his you know, Washington state, where his family um, was. And uh, at one point, uh, Jordan Weissman, um, the co-founder of FASA, um, had started uh, at Microsoft and he brought Tim in for an interview and Tim said, I could do this job, but the guy you really want is Eric. <laughs> um, and so so Jordan called me and uh, I lied my ass off about what I knew and <laughs> knew how to do and got hired uh, <laughs> and then quickly <laughs> learned and then quickly learned the job. And then I was at Microsoft for almost almost 10 years. Um and worked on stuff like uh, the Crimson Skies PC game, um, a little bit on Mech Warrior Three, uh, um, Halo. Halo was the big one. Perfect Dark mm-hmm, Zero yeah. was another one. Um, and uh, and then when I left there and went, uh, I went to full time freelance, uh, largely in comics. I, I uh, wrote I wrote for DC from two thousand six two thousand seven till about twenty. 14, I think. Uh, 
and then did a ton of work for dynamite entertainment shortly after that. And, uh, at one point I was carrying four monthly books, I think at the same time. Uh, and that's many. Um, and so I downshifted it and like took a break from writing. Um, except for the odd short project here and there. Like uh, if they were doing an antholo- a Red Sonia anthology, I'd contribute a story or a Vampirella anthology because I had written both Red Sonia and Vampirella for Dynamite. Um, whenever they did a small anthology, I'd do like a 10-pager um, and moved over to more traditional graphic design stuff, designing logos, laying out the letter column and a bunch of books. And, um, and uh, going to probably get back into the writing side of things more. Um, I'm doing, it hasn't been announced yet, but for, uh, I'm doing a creator own book with Greg Rucka and uh, an artist named Mike Henderson um, that we have the first three issues done of of a three issue arc that we're going to continue to do three issue arcs for. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, Greg Rucker's really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And he and I have been friends for a long time and we've worked together on a ton of stuff and, uh, yeah, he's great. He's uh, a <laughs> that kid's gonna go far. Well, you know, not, this might be a good way to segue into one of our segments, which is just like our we we typically do a, a. I don't know if I know you you listen to some of our episodes. So I don't know if uh, if they got or if those were episodes with the batshit crazy book of the week. Um, okay, but I figure that you know now that we're talking about other things. Um, Maybe this is a good way to to lead into that. It's the batshit crazy book of the week. I I, 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 I do I do have something. Um, yeah. It's not it's not technically a book, but we've spoken a lot about the different source books. Yeah. And um, when as part of the launch, the first source book of the Dark Strider Saga, Timothy Zahn wrote a whole brand new short story. Yep. That that wasn't about Thrawn on Mara Jade, which. Yep. I think that's the only time he's ever done that. How, how did that happen, Eric? Well, as again, uh, um, West End actually threw money at that project. Um, and part of that was to get Tim because we were hedging our bets with this expensive project. We wanted yeah. New York Times bestselling author Tim Zahn. Not only <laughs> contributed that story, but he was, uh, he was part of the discussions, I guess, with uh, Bill Smith and the other editors who were initially working on it before my involvement. Um, he, they were working with Tim about kind of world building what they wanted to do and who oh, okay. would be and all of that. Um, and Tim had had a good experience working with West End before that on, on the Thrawn trilogy novels. Um, in, in part, um, uh, Steve Crane, the art director uh, of West End Games at that point, had built, I guess, a mock-up of the Mount Tantus throne room. Um for Tim, so he could like, like did diagrams and deck plans. I think they made a model out of foam core or something. Um, okay. <laughs> Tim could visualize the environment that he was. He had to stage this complicated fight choreography and like. Oh wow! Yeah, when uh, when he first got the gig, I mean, he's he's talked about this a numer- uh, numerous times that uh, he was not expecting a big box from Lucasfilm with a bunch of West End game stuff in it, and Lucasfilm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you have to pay attention to all of this. He was uh, unthrilled initially. Until <laughs> he got into it and realized, like, oh, they've already come up with a way to knock a ship out of hyperspace. Oh, they've already done X, Y, Z. I can just, you know, Write I can just story. this. I have to, yeah, he didn't have to uh, create a lot of that whole cloth. It was already in the set in the setting. Mm. Um, and I guess he started, like, you know, when he was working with Slavisek on the first couple source books, um, they 
corresponded and you know um that was clearly a pleasant experience for all involved and the source books were real well received so he already had a relationship with west end uh and at that point the star wars adventure journal was starting too um so he he'd had correspondence and i i don't know if he'd submitted i'd have to look at the release dates i don't know if he'd submitted anything to pete schweighoffer for the journal yet but i know he yeah. and I know he and Pete worked together really well. So he was already favorably disposed to West End. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's how that came about. It was like, hey, you want some money? You want to write a short story? You want to not have to deal with the main characters? Come on. <laughs> so for any of our listeners who are massive Timothy Zahn fans, you'll need to hunt down the first Dark Strider source book. Uh, the story is called The Saga Begins. And it's really good. It's worth a read. Yeah, again, that Zahn kid, he'll go far. <laughs> <He's>, uh, <laughs> I, he, he, that was a highlight for me. I got to edit that short story. That was my first thing I did in the office when I got there. Um, they were just putting the I, – I got hired right as uh, they were putting that book into into the art department for production. Um, so I got to I got to edit that short story. Um, I mean, it, it does sound like, you know, bar the meeting where you got asked to work for free, um, it does sound like you have nothing but fond memories of it those years at West End Games. Yeah, it sure sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That particularly near the end, um, when tempers were frayed and we were all a bunch of young hotheads and a uh, uh, lot, of, lot of friendships ended after. Mm. Okay. Um, and uh, I was a little surprised. Um, uh, a few years ago, I... Uh, I started uh, working with a with a, an old friend of mine who has a small um, publishing company, uh, um, and we put together uh, a bunch of um, Star Wars D six compatible uh, epic space fantasy adventures that are not at all Star Wars. Please don't sue us. <laughs> uh, and I got I got a ton of those guys that I worked with back then to write them. Uh, yeah, Bill Smith did one. Pete Schweighoffer did one. Tim O'Brien did one. Like it was a whole bunch of us. Uh, Drew Campbell, Wayne Humphrey, uh, Mike Kogi. Um, and these are all guys I loved working with back in the day. And uh, like I said, some of us, I, I was really surprised. Bill and I had, Bill Smith and I had a huge falling out. Um, and uh, had not spoken really um, beyond the odd internet, you know, hey, how you been? Uh, you know, for, for like literally decades. Um, but it felt weird to do a book like this where we were kind of celebrating what we'd done and not invite him to participate. Um, yeah. And I was really pleasantly surprised that he did not just agree. He agreed immediately and enthusiastically. Um, and we had a great time on it. We had a blast working on that book. Um, you know, and we laid it out so it looks like an old West End Games book. And uh, the illustrator uh, that we worked with on that one drew in the style of one of our favorite um, West End Games regular freelancers, a guy named Mike Villardi, um, who I, I reached out to. I've reached out to over the years so many times uh, for like comic work and role playing game stuff, and he just just never end. Um, not a lot of freelancers got their final checks, but yeah. uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Well, for any get company, I guess, especially creative, when things end, you know, on a sour note. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of. I don't know how to put this. One of, one of the skills I tend to bring to a creative environment is building a good team, building the right yeah. team to throw at a problem. 
And the sad part about it is I imagine it's a lot like this in Hollywood. Like when a movie's done, you've built your team, the movie's done, then everybody leaves. Um, in my case, it's been, it's always been, Hey, I've built a really solid unit and we're firing on all cylinders and we're doing great work. Okay. The company folded. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it happened at, it happened at West end, obviously, um, similar problem at Microsoft. The company didn't fold, but our group got reprioritized and the creative element was excised. Um, you know, I built a great team at Microsoft and I, I still love those guys. And I, there's a few of them I still talk to almost daily. Um, and it's been, I mean, I left the company in 06. Um, you know, it's that, that's the hard part for me is, you know, you, you build this thing that you love and creative existence is so precarious. It can just go away at any time. And that's really hard for me. Um, and one of the reasons why I went back to being a more traditional freelancer is I'm tired of watching the thing I love murdered in front of me. I'm tired <laughs> yeah. of that. So, I mean, at, least with, um, at least with the West End game stuff, you you know that the fans are still are still appreciating that. It's, get, it's turning up in the shows. Like People like me, I still go back and read some of that stuff. Like I'm not a role player, role-playing gamer at all. But I, I'm always obsessed by the Western Games content just for the f- amount of pure fiction. And, you know, there's a real legacy, I think, that's been left behind with that work. I think so, too. And I think that's one of the, like I had mentioned earlier that um, I, I'm not at all upset or embittered or anything by when that material shows up in a movie or TV show or cartoon or whatever. It's like, I don't know why. Um, I'd had a mis- miserable enough experience with... Uh, DC comics that like when that stuff occasionally shows up, the work that I've done occasionally shows up in like one of the WB shows or something. And I'm like, I'm furious. I'm furious. You know, it it drives me so crazy, but there was something about the West end material that at the time we were, we were all, all of us, there was not an editor at West end who was not killing themselves to do good work. Um, Despite the terrible hours and the deadlines and the, the ridiculously low pay because we knew we were doing something interesting and special. Um, and yeah. it was creatively rewarding way that I, <laughs> I can't imagine myself doing it now. It's like I watched it happen to somebody else. Um, no, no, I was, I was curious. Is there a different kind of feeling? Cause uh, you know, cause you've been worked, you've worked on different kinds of, of, uh, of mediums, right? So, uh, when you're working for DC, you're more directly working with the like comic books themselves. But then, so when that shows up in, in the live action shows or something, then I don't know if there's more, more of a sense of ownership. Whereas if it's in a, you know, a role playing game, are you just maybe more removed from what would be considered more full on storytelling perhaps? I don't know. That's that's my question. (laughs) That's yeah. a really good <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm, 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 as you were saying all this, I was trying to like figure out the mechanics of like why one would feel one way when you see that, like you know, with you know, from you like seeing the DC things happen, but then for the Star Wars stuff, you're just me. I don't know if it's just more like you're. It's a game, therefore you're already playing in the, that sandbox, and maybe that is the gratifying aspect of it. So when you see it there, it's like, oh yeah, yeah I played with that. Whereas <laughs> with the comic book, it's like I I created that content. It's not it's not a game or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that may that might 
be part of it. I've never really unpacked it like that. Mm -hmm. that the idea that I'm, I, in the game side of things, you're making stuff explicitly for other people to use. Exactly. Uh, and I, part of it though, is like, like I said, I, I had a miserable time with DC. Um, yeah. They still haven't paid me for the first thing. They still have not fully paid me for the first thing I wrote for them in 2006. And every oh, wow. time I brought it up, the, the person I'm talking to looks at me like a dog that's been shown a card trick. It's just, oh. it's inconceivable to them that they still owe me 1100 bucks for checkmate 17. Um, and I, you know, like uh, my last experience with a DC editor was miserable. Um, he, I got hired to do a project. Uh, they decided they didn't want me to do the project, but it was too hard to tell me that. So I continued to do work on the project that I oh my God. finally had to like throw a, a hissy fit to get them to acknowledge like, Hey, you have to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, or, yeah. Uh, I did an emergency uh, cover treatment for an issue of Wonder Woman. Oh, it was, and it was, oh, we need this immediately. We need this immediately. And I charged them 200 bucks for basically a cover. Um, yeah. And then I had to scream at them for six months to give me my money. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, really? Warner Brothers? Like, West End, I knew the state of our finances, right? <laughs> <laughs> one step away from sitting on a corner with a tin cup begging for alms. Uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers, not that Warner Brothers, like 200 bucks. Like that's, that's like one, one millionth of your paperclip budget, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, the, the, so I think part of that for me is just like, look, I knew the deal with, with uh, Lucasfilm then later Disney. Um, yeah. when, I, when I signed the check, I am signing away the rights. I know that. Like I have no ownership of that whatsoever, morally, legally, ethically. I knew that I was making this stuff for someone else. Yeah. Um, and that fine. And that's the same with the comics, but the difference was we agreed on an amount of payment uh, and West end often late, but regularly paid me Warner <laughs> yeah. brothers. I have to fight with. And, yeah. uh, and, and that, I think it's, it's just the, that, that is the, the bridge too far for me yeah like, the utter lack of respect for the creatives is just too much and i was never disrespected by west end games wow. uh, well then speaking of um, of this then... i mean i was stiffed for a ton of dough uh, don't get me <laughs> wrong <laughs> well so um moving on um is there anything you'd like to, to plug besides you know that or how can people that are listening to us um support your all the work that you've been doing and perhaps you know perhaps even that is it the star system um yeah. that that's what you were talking about right where you brought the yeah. whole team back together so that's yeah true. where can people get it and or where, where can people get more of your work that so they can support you more specifically and not warner brothers and some of those <laughs> other companies appreciate that um the the star system book is called every star a destination it is a collection of uh smuggler and free trader themed d6 system adventures uh, can be found on uh, drive through rpg um you can um you can get a print on demand copy of it from them uh or amazon um okay. uh and i don't know if you guys do show notes i didn't look that deeply but if you do i can send you the links after yeah, that'd be great um and yeah we would appreciate that um and uh in terms of like my comics work like i said i'm mostly doing graphic design stuff mm -hmm. these days uh and the the series i work on are basically rucka books um 
I do the design and layout stuff for the old guard um, and black magic. Um, I'm really proud of the hardcover I put together for that one. It is an extremely attractive hardcover that is surprisingly affordable given all the bennies that I managed to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Lazarus, uh, now Lazarus Risen. Um, these are all kind of my regular ones. And like I said, in 2023, there will be an announcement of the thing Greg, Mike, and I are doing. Um, and the, the short version of it is it's a, it's pul- it's pulpy military space opera um, and sort of our love letter to ho- heavy metal. That's, okay, um, that sounds fantastic. About an all-female squad of ass-kicking space marines 14,000 years in the future fighting monstrous hideous bugs on a hostile alien planet where the air is methane and it rains molten glass. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I got, yeah, I'll, Definitely need to bring you back whenever that comes out because that sounds amazing. I mean, we'll do a non Star Warsy episode for that. I would, I would appreciate that. Uh, um, there are Star Warsy elements in it, um, yeah. you know, faster than light travel and you know, and interstellar empire, that kind of stuff. But uh, and, and uh, to clarify, when you said heavy metal, you're talking about heavy metal magazine and the movie or. Music. The magazine, yeah. Okay, yes. Okay. No, no, the, the magazine. <laughs> Although I, the music would apply too. I yeah. mean, metal about, you know, power-armored women with big guns blowing up space bugs. True, um, true. That's, that's got its metal elements as well. Um, it's, I guess, there's this particular feeling, a particular era for when you're reading heavy metal that yeah. we're really going for, where it's like, you're 12, you found a copy on the newsstand and you're hiding it behind a Sports Illustrator because it's just naughty enough you don't want to copy it. That's yes. sort of the needle we're trying to thread with it. So okay. I will uh, I will uh, warn that it's got more filthy language and filthy jokes in it than I've ever put in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a little more adult content there, but if, yes. yeah, oh, if yeah. you know heavy metal, you know you, you should yeah. have an idea of what to expect then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not... Like these aren't like bikini battle armor things, right? Like it's it's functional armor. The you know we it's it's still a Greg Rucka book in that regard, right? It's mm-hmm. empowered female characters. It's it's not just titillation. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, if this were four dudes, nobody would blink an eye. Um, I think the thing that's gonna shock people is like, no, they're just written as uber competent and uber uber confident and 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 literally the best at what they do um and we're pretty proud of that and yeah. mike just killed it like, like those three issues look so good they're so so good um yeah that's so, exciting yeah that that, really that that'll be next year i, I really yeah. don't have a lot to plug. i don't have a lot to plug right okay. now <laughs> well so well work work where can people uh you know find you on twitter or instagrams and stuff so that they can like make sure to uh you know know when these things come out and so online uh it's uh uh, at Mercury Eric, M E R C U R Y E R I C on Twitter. Um, that's mostly where I'm sweary and ranty about politics. Uh, <laughs> and it exists largely as the uh, pressure release valve so the yeah. dark thoughts don't chew their way out of my skull. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I can uh, relate. We all yeah. need that. <laughs> uh, I'm much, um, oh, sorry, I am much less uh sweary and awful on my own website um making sure i get the right web address for it uh, ericchapman.us right (laughs) yeah yeah um two ends ends. yeah don't don't be dc comics (laughs) Uh, and uh 
I have a, a pro page that on, on Facebook, which is just basically new product announcements and stuff. Um, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm basically dumped all my other social media. I, I killed my Tumblr and my Instagram ages ago because they were useless for any kind of engagement. So, <laughs> yeah. um, well, all right. Well, so, yeah. um, I think that that's pretty much it. Um, Trevor, do you have anything else you want to uh, talk about or? Uh, no, I mean, we've, we've kind of gone over the hour again. I don't, I don't know why we say an hour at the beginning of a show. We're, we're rubbish at sticking to that hour. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to... <laughs> I just want to say a massive thank you to you, Eric, for coming on and, you know, being so open and frank and reminiscent. I, I genuinely love everything that ever came out of West End Games. And they're responsible for so much of what Star Wars literature is. It's in the bare bones of it. It is the foundation, you know, and thank you so much. Uh, it was um, largely my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 thanks for having me on, guys. I always love talking about the good old days. Um, so this is this has been fun. Thanks. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, uh, thank you, Trevor, for uh, you know making this happen and sharing all your knowledge of the West End games as well, so that you can, you know, since I know that you love them, so it's been great having you here. And uh, <laughs> thank you to um, our Patreon members for supporting us and making shows like this possible. Um, if you haven't done it yet, please make sure to join our Discord. Uh, go to utini.com slash Discord and click the Join Now button if you're not there yet um, so that where we can just share links and of everything that Eric has talked about today. We'll also make sure to add those to our show notes. So if you're just listening to us, you can also just you know go back to the little description of the episode and scroll down a little bit, and there should be links in there where you can click and get your copy of uh of what is it uh star every system every star, star a destination yes oh i should add um, yes go for it i do not have a release date for it yet because uh i am slow and i am dealing with <laughs> the minor medical issues with my hands which have slowed me down tremendously but there is a manuscript i'm currently working on for the next uh of those adventure collections which oh. will be space crime it's going to be the the gamblers and rogues and and uh, bounty hunters, and you know the the the, the shady side of space opera. Yeah. And obviously, nice. this is in no way related to Star Wars. No, nope. so, <laughs> not at all. Um, you know, you can do whatever you want with your headcanon, but yeah. this is not Star Wars. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually a part of the the design mandate when I put these together, um, because, uh, like I said, I'm still friends with Pablo, who yeah. you know, literally works on this stuff. It's like. We can never do anything that will make somebody in a Disney suit walk by his office and go, what are your idiot friends doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they about that. So, yeah, there will be no Jedi. There will be no Force. There will be no Stormtroopers. But mm. um, should be easy enough to drop into your ongoing campaign if you're still playing. So Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you again, Eric. Thank you, Trev. And with that, I can now say radio out. There is no hatred, there is joy, there is no division, there is union, there is no apathy, there is passion, there is no gatekeeping, there is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and survive.
surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you.